Late summer, not yet early fall, but coming on soon. The grass, the trees, that deep green that comes only in late summer. The winter wheat, long since harvested. The corn not yet ready to be picked. The yellow school bus trundles along country roads, picking up kids with their new backpacks. The pop of football shoulder pads echoes as high school athletes prepare for another season of small-town gridiron glory. The cycle of life in small-town America continues. The local noon radio news show begins with the weather, segues into crop prices, breaks for the Ford dealer's ad, moves on to the local announcements. A going-away ceremony honoring the Mount Vernon National Guard Unit will be held this afternoon at 3 o'clock at the Mount Vernon High School football field. The newsreader's melatones recite. Friends, families, and neighbors are all invited to attend. The local unit is being called up for a year and will deploy to Afghanistan for a nine-month tour of duty. The mayor is there, himself a National Guardsman, although not one of the deploying soldiers. The local state representative wouldn't miss it. After all, here's a gathering of constituents who likely vote. The VFW and American Legion veterans are there in their caps and shirts with buttons stretched tightly across bellies, long gone slack from too many beers and burgers and too few sit-ups. The families are there, the wives with grim set faces, wondering how they'll get through the next year or so with husband half a globe away. They've heard the casualty reports each night on the television set. The kids, a bit uncertain about what it is Dad is going off to do, but the excitement of change, of the unknown, of soldiers massed in uniform, of the high school band playing, all adds to the moment's emotion. The soldiers, bound for three months of intense training before climbing on those charter flights to a war zone, to combat pay, to a few ribbons added to the left breast pocket of a dress uniform, to nine months of boredom interspersed with moments of sheer terror. To the left of the podium, the high school bleachers filled with families, friends, neighbors, employers, well-wishers. In front of the podium, the desert camo-clad part-time soldiers, full-time dads, employees, teachers, students, sons. On either side of the podium, black speakers crackling, distorting the earnest voices addressing the assembled citizens. In back of the podium, the hired folding chairs occupied by local dignitaries, a one-starred brigadier general who will command the troops in Afghanistan, and the two-star, a major general who has signed the orders sending the soldiers into danger. Flanking them on either side, the American flag, the state flag, and two red flags, one with a solitary white star, the other with a pair of white stars. The red flags denoting that a brigadier general and a major general are in attendance. The mayor's speech, the state legislator's speech, echoing the words that have been spoken time and again by small-town mayors and state legislators across this great nation. Words praising the soldiers for their sense of duty. Words wishing them well. Words wishing them Godspeed and a safe return. Polite applause from the audience as each concludes. The soldiers begin to sweat standing in formation under the late summer sun before the podium. The brigadier, a full-time career guardsman for many years, begins his speech with a quote, which has been variously attributed to Churchill, author George Orwell, and poet Rudyard Kipling. 
We sleep soundly in our beds because rough men stand ready in the night to visit violence on those who would do us harm. He went on to praise the assembled soldiers as rough men, as men prepared to do violence, as men prepared to deal death and destruction. The two-star watched the families, watched the faces of the wives and children, watched the faces of the neighbors and employers, as the one-star spoke of rough men, death and destruction. The camel-clad two-star rose to speak as a smattering of applause followed the brigadier's remarks. His prepared remarks forgotten as he began to speak to the assembly. He could feel the queasy stomachs of the wives who had just heard their loving husbands described as rough men, the shocked look on neighbors' faces as they contemplated their friends through a different-looking glass, a violent glass. The general turned slightly to his left to address not the soldiers, but the civilian audience. General Huber gave you one view of these men. I have another. I see men who are gentle fathers, men who are loving husbands, men who are little league coaches and truck drivers and factory workers, farmers and teachers. These are compassionate men. These are men who care deeply. They care about their families, their community, their nation. These are men who have volunteered to serve, to serve in times of peace and of war. They are not men of violence. They are men of peace. They seek peace. They will do the necessary tasks to secure peace. They will do the necessary tasks to end violence. Let us praise them not as rough men ready to do violence, but rather as men of peace who do what is necessary to end violence. As he watched the faces of the crowd, he could see the nods of acceptance. He could see the calm returning to worried looks. He had presented a different vision, a vision that aligned with the crowd's concept of the men standing before them, words that reassured the wives, the kids, the bosses, the neighbors, that these men, although now in uniform, would be the same men upon return, that these men would still be kind, loving fathers and husbands, still be reliable, steady employees, still lend a hand when a neighbor needed help with a bulky lawnmower or bulky tractor or bulky steer, that these kind, gentle men might face danger, but they would come through unscathed. Would some of them become rough men? Yes. Would some of them visit violence on others? Yes. Would some of them not return home? Yes. Would some of them leave a piece of their body, pieces of their soul in a strange land? Yes. Did the general lie? No. He spoke of kind and gentle men who were asked by their country to do a difficult and dangerous job. They did. They did it willingly. Most came home. Most bore no physical wounds. Most went back to their daily routines. Another generation in a long line of greatest generations of Americans who quietly do the job their nation asks of them. <laughs>